What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 60 of the Mike and Dave Podcast. You can now listen to one minute of every episode that we've done, and doing so will take an hour of your time. we That's how many episodes we've put out. I wouldn't recommend you spending your time in that way because it would make no sense. Um, but yeah, sure. That, that is one way of looking at it. <laughs> I don't know. There was something about the number 60, you know, and that, I guess, is what it was to me. Sure. Say what you will about, like, me, you know. I don't know <laughs> what that says about me as a person, but whatever. Speaking of me as a person, this is Mike. I don't think I said my name yet. But that's <laughs> no, me. but you did introduce yourself in a different way. Um, yeah, and this is Dave. And uh, this is the Mike and Dave podcast. Um, Like Mike said, it's episode 60, which to be fair to you, that is a lot of episodes. So uh, shout out to the people who've been here for a while. Shout out if you're new. And I guess shout out if you're somewhere in the middle. If you're listening, shout out. Yeah, basically. Um, We do have a pretty interesting show and jam-packed show for you today. We're going to start off with Off the Top as usual. Then we've got our each of our top five favorite college football players of all time. So buckle up because that should be interesting. Uh, then we've got some fantasy football preview to get through. You're probably, if you haven't already, getting ready to draft your teams uh, for this upcoming season. So we're going to give you a few players that we have our eyes on. Um, and then obviously we'll close out the show as per usual with the hot seat and fun fact. Um, but Let's go ahead and start off with off the top, which it was my turn to bring the prompt for this week. So, Mike, we somehow have not talked about this yet. Well, I wasn't going to bring it up because I wanted to talk about it off the top. Um, But I wanted to get your thoughts on the recent realignment that has been happening in college football. So as a recap... Um, The other day, I believe it was Friday, um, so a week ago if you're listening to this on the day that it's posted, um, Oregon and Washington finalized a move to join the Big Ten in 2024, so this year will be the last year that they are in the Pac-12, and then later that night, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah announced they were officially jumping to the Big 12, joining Colorado, which leaves four teams left in the Pac-12 a conference that was formed in 1915 and currently only has Cal, Oregon State, Stanford, and Washington State. Now, Mike, what is your initial reaction to, obviously if you know this already, but like what's what's been your initial reaction to this conference realignment, um, to kind of w- where college football is heading and what this means for you know, the rest of the Pac-12 schools and, you know, the schools in the ACC, you know, Notre Dame uh, is another one. Florida State has been, you know, there have been rumors swirling about them potentially trying to leave the ACC as well. What are your thoughts on all of this? I mean, I guess if you're a college football program, you go where the the money is, right? Especially like that TV money. And so naturally that's going to be with those bigger conferences, the conferences that are doing well. And I think the natural progression of that is that a lot of these high school recruits are going to do the same thing. And 
that what who that's really going to hurt are those other teams that aren't big enough to leave their conferences. So feel for them. On the other end, though, I mean, you know me with uh, Michigan, Ohio State. I've been like, oh yeah, we'll never have a playoff with Michigan and Ohio State because it, you know, it comes down to them at the end of the season, and whoever loses that game probably won't win the Big Ten. Well, this is make like in terms of the playoffs, especially once you know the playoff expands to include even more teams, the conferences aren't going to matter that much in that respect. And in that way, I kind of like it. I kind of like that it's not like, oh, we're going to take whoever won this conference and whether or not there are better teams than them in other conferences, we're just going to put that team in because, well, they won the they won the Big 12, so in they go or, you know, whatever. There's less of that and more searching out just straight up who are the best eight teams. And I think that's good in terms of pursuing a true national champion. Frankly, I'm very, when it comes to sports, I'm very like championship focused, you know, like we've talked about before in terms of like the Falcons or Hawks, for example, like what good is it really to make the playoffs 20 years in a row? If you don't actually win, um, the focus is winning that the whole thing. And, if that's the focus for a lot of teams and a lot of fans, then anything that improves that experience, I think is overall good. So I feel for the smaller schools that are absolutely going to be the victims of all this movement. But in terms of looking for a championship, I guess I'm just thankful to be a fan of a big school and a big conference at this point. Like I'd be, a hmm, if I were like a Oregon state or something, I'd be hurting right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a couple of things on that. So with the the way that the new 12-team playoff is structured, the six highest-ranked conference champions will receive a bid along with the next six highest-ranked teams. So, you know, it seems like right now we're, we're looking at the SEC, Big Ten, Big 12 as kind of the big three. Then... Also, the ACC is there. The Pac-12, like, who knows what's going to happen if they're going to try to convince some, like, Mountain West teams to join and, like, or, like, what's going to happen there? I don't know. Um, (laughs) And then, obviously, you have all of the other smaller conferences, like the AAC, the Sun Belt, Conference USA, et cetera, et cetera. So you would still have, you know, out of those, you, you have the big three, and then you probably have the ACC and then you you have, you know, a couple more, you know, from like Pac-12, maybe, maybe Mountain West, you know, some of these other programs. So you're still going to, you know, run into that same thing of there's lower uh, level of competition in these other conferences, but they're still going to get an automatic bid into the playoff. So they may have to look into revisiting that if they're moving more towards this like three conference, like like three like super conferences basically is what we're looking at right now. I think it's terrible. I really do. I think the the fact that they're turning it from being regional into just going where the most money is is just further commercializing college athletics, which these are college. I mean, I understand, like, I'm really glad about NIL and everything, but I think it's just further making it into more of that 
pro model, like there's only one National Football League. What if eventually we get into the, there's just one conference and all, every, all of the big teams are in it. And it's like, instead of the FBS and the FCS, it's just, you know, the premier league of like college football. And then there's like the next league with all the rest of the teams and no one cares about them. You know, um, I think recruiting wise, any chance that those schools had of, attracting you know solid recruits is probably gone we've already seen some recruits moving um and changing their their commitments based on some of these uh new realignments it's basically just one of those situations of the rich get richer it really is something that has made me very sad over the past few days and honestly since it really started happening when you when usc and ucla left I could not believe it. I mean, I could, but like, that just seems wrong to me. The whole thing does. Yeah. So you've definitely spent more time thinking about this than I have. And I don't disagree with anything you said there. I think like when I responded, I was definitely thinking more about like the postseason aspect than I was the regular. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it does seem like at the end of the day, it's one of those situations where like, um, you know, when you're talking to somebody and you're like, oh, or like they'll make a point like, oh, in a perfect world, this would be the case. And, you know, and, and you just go, yeah, no shit. But like, we don't, we don't live in a perfect world and everything that's happening makes sense in the world we live in type. Like that's kind of the vibe I'm getting with this realignment. Like, traditionally, we'd prefer it not to be going down like this, and we'd like to see, like, other schools, uh, programs uh, be maintained in their traditions, sustained, and have it be fun for everybody. Because there are fans, like, huge fans of small teams that love getting into college football on a week-to-week basis, especially if they're playing bigger schools. Just, like, the allure of potentially an upset you know um but it's not like you know from a rational perspective of course like you said of course like why wouldn't they at this point but doesn't make it like exhilarating to see you know yeah i mean like i said rationally speaking it makes sense for these schools to be making these moves and the whole system has been set up to where that seems like the only option for them at this point. Also, to be fair, it's off the top, which means I just asked you off the top of your head what you think. (laughs) And obviously I spent a while thinking about it, like you said. So (laughs) with all that being said, way to, you know, to start off our, the podcast on a bit of a sour note. Um, When we come back, we're going to get into something a little, happier to do with college football which is our top five uh, favorite college football players of all time so make sure to stick around for that all right like dave said before we're going to go over our top five favorite college football players so if you haven't caught on very football themed episode i mean we didn't at least i didn't know that that was going to be the case with off the top but we actually and i meant to say this earlier we have three straight episodes starting with this one that are 
football focused, whether that's college football or NFL, or in this episode's case, a little bit of both, because football season's coming up and we're here to kick that off. So we're really getting into football now. And like I said, top five favorite college football players. I hesitate to say of all time because we're limiting ourselves only to the players that we've personally watched like live. So, you know, for me, for example, like Charles Woodson, you know, like I love Charles Woodson, but he was playing college football in the late nineties. You know, I, I was not cognizantly watching him play. So he didn't make my list. Additionally, we are, you know, Dave said earlier, he's a Florida State fan. I'm a Michigan fan, but we've decided to limit ourselves to just two players each from our favorite schools, just to add to that variety. And one more thing, Dave and I talked about this a little bit earlier, just to help us, you know, whittle down what makes someone one of our favorites. This could be for whatever reason. Maybe we liked the player's personality or off the field stuff or just his highlight reel is sick. You know, whatever it was, we might have different reasons for having guys in our top five. So we are going to alternate from five to one to get down to our favorite college football players that we've seen. So Dave, why don't you kick us off, no pun intended this time, with your number five favorite college football player. Okay, so a little bit of a spoiler alert. I definitely, it's a combination of Florida State players I enjoyed watching and other players that I enjoyed watching. So there's no real personalities um, or anything like that. It's literally just who made me excited to watch college football is kind of how I approached this. So at number five is Saquon Barkley. Um, First of all, those quads though. (laughs) Second of all, um, just his, uh, his insane ability to turn like nothing into something, take anything to the house. Um, You know, his jump cuts were unreal hurdling ability. He could run through you you know, one-handed catches, like you name it. He was amazing for Penn State and definitely someone who I tuned in every week to see what did Saquon do next because he almost always did something amazing. So I'm, I remember when he went second overall to the Giants, like maybe the rational part of me was like, not sure if that was a good idea, but honestly, in terms of talent, I would, I did not, blame the Giants for taking him number two overall because he was that good. One of the best running backs I've ever seen at the college level and just a delight to watch. So I was thinking we'd save honorable mentions to for closer to one, but I will say Saquad Barkley is one of my honorable mentions. <laughs> yeah electric and one of the best running back prospects coming out of college of all time like easily my number five maybe this is poorly timed based on the article that like just came out about him 
I know that he's arrogant, okay? I know that he's an asshole. But at the time, was there a more fun player to watch than Johnny Football, <laughs> Johnny Manziel? Not really. I mean, the answer was no. What what he was up to at Texas A&M, yeah, like his highlight reel is like almost unparalleled, you know? Uh I was having fun putting this list together because it just meant, oh, so I get to just watch college football highlights. Cool. Same. So naturally I'm I'm watching Johnny Manziel and I'm just like there's only one guy on my list. I this is barely a spoiler, but there's only one guy on my list whose highlights I enjoyed more than Johnny Manziel's. And at Texas A&M, like, you know me, I'm a fan of Michigan. I don't like Georgia. I couldn't give fewer shits about the SEC. Like, for Johnny Manziel at Texas A&M to make me care about watching SEC games because of the shit that he might pull off, yeah, that's unreal. And to just add to it a little bit, his small frame, like, he... Like, you look at, like, Cam Newton, for example, and you're like, oh, yeah, look at him. He's a physical, like, beast. Or, like, Derrick Henry, you know, who, you know, I hype up Derrick Henry every third episode of this podcast. Uh-huh. And they're just like, oh, yeah, of course they're going to do monstrous things. Look at them. Or look at Saquon Barkley's quants. But you don't get that feel from Johnny Manziel. And then he just makes amazing happen. He certainly does. And that's why he is number four on my list. <laughs> so... Basically, yeah. what what Mike said about Johnny Manziel, um, you know, just basically the same thing for me. Um, his highlight reel is un unbelievable. I mean, with a nickname like Johnny Football, you you can't really get much better than that. Um, both of just a nick a nickname to have in general, but also a nickname that just says exactly what to expect. Like this man is out here just running around looking like, I mean, honestly, like very few quarterbacks have ever played the position in college. Like his ability, I mean, obviously had Mike Evans, which is helpful. Um, Just kind of throw it up and let, let him go get it. But his ability to, to make guys miss, you just don't think he's that fast. And then all of a sudden he's splitting defenders. Like he's Mike Vick. Um, and he's just like some some skinny white dude. <laughs> like, it's just, un, you know, it was unbelievable. Obviously, everything that's come out about him and, and you know, his whole story is really sad. Um, or, you know, you can look at it in any number of ways. But he definitely didn't live up to his potential, for sure, uh, in, at the professional level. But at the college level, like, we have seen very few players that have captured the imagination like Johnny Mansell did. Yeah, it really sucks that he got drafted by Cleveland. You know, short of being like short of exceptions like LeBron, you know, getting drafted by Cleveland is just kind of one of those uh, rare missing ways to screw someone's career from the jump. Whatever. Um, my number four 
this is a player that you like Dave, this is a player that you know that I've loved in the NFL. And that goes back to him at college at the University of Alabama. A guy that early on into my watching football with any sort of like regularity or commitment, this is a guy that made me really respect the run game. And that's Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram was the type that was like a beautifully balanced running back. On any given game, he could burn you with the speed or just truck right through you. And it's like we've seen the hyper elusive backs. And he wasn't fast like them. We've seen the hulking beasts like Derrick Henry, and he wasn't like them. But if you want that, it's like the on Madden when you have that, like the archetypes, and it's like, do you want to be a power back? Do you want to be an elusive back? Or do you want to be balanced? Mark Ingram was that like great balanced running back. And his personality is just so fun. Like it's fun. It was fun to watch him celebrate that like little like I don't know what to call it, that like squat celebration thing that he would do after like big runs was just fun to me. It always felt like his celebrations were less about showboating and more about just enjoying the game. I don't know. That was just the vibe I got from him. Uh, so Mark Ingram also bringing home Heisman as a running back. A eh? so yeah, Mark Ingram is my number four. Okay, that makes sense. I. I do know that you have loved Mark Ingram in the NFL, even though he was a saint for a long time. Um, yeah, not the Alabama running back that I feel like a lot of people would have chosen, but I respect it. Um, and yeah, everything you said is definitely accurate. Um, one of the more underrated running backs at Alabama, um, I guess if you're looking back at all the different running backs that Alabama's had, you don't necessarily think of Mark Ingram, you know, at first, unless you're Mike. Um, but yeah, Heisman winner, um, you know, superstar at the college college level and, you know, really solid player at the NFL level. So respect for that one. All right. My first Florida State player is coming in at number three. It's Derwin James, my only defensive player to make my top five. Um, Derwin is a guy who can do everything that you could possibly think of on the defensive side of the ball. And he started doing that as a true freshman for Florida State. Unreal athlete, able to rush the passer, cover tight ends and receivers, play the running game really well, play center field and pick off passes, mirror uh, receivers and tight ends and man coverage. Like, you name it, Derwin can do it. And he did do it. Um, over the course of his career at Florida State. I mean, such a joy to watch. Um, you know, big hits, you know, playmaker taking the ball away, and really just the, you know, the energizer, I think, for the, those Florida State teams. So I always loved him uh, a lot. And, you know, it's unfortunate that he's gotten injured as much as he has at the NFL level, because I think if he hadn't, People would probably be talking about him as the best safety in the league. Minka Fitzpatrick has something to say about it right now. But I think in terms of the Swiss Army knife, you know, that safety that can do everything, to me, Derwin's the best that I've ever seen and of the entire package of being great at everything. Um, and I was just really happy that I got to watch him at Florida State. Yeah, Derwin to me is sad because 
he's quite possibly my biggest like what if in the NFL right now of just like I sometimes I'll look at rosters and I just go oh oh yeah Derwin I kind of forgot because he misses so much time and I just think like if he had, if he's just if he had just never gotten injured he's probably yeah he's probably the best safety he's I mean this is a dumb example but I think about last year when we were looking at the draft and we looked at Kyle Hamilton I was like, huh. I mean, he looks like a really good safety prospect. But if you put him next to Derwin as a prospect, it's not, it's not even close. Mm-hmm. Derwin like, flies by him. Like, yeah. Kyle Hamilton did not have the speed. Yeah. Yeah, Derwin is just... It was like... Uh, it was like Polamalu, but as a college prospect. And we... You know I love Polamalu. Um, as I think you do as well. Derwin, yes, like you said, complete package as a defender. It's so sad about his injury, but at Florida State, yeah, menace. Okay, my number three is also an Alabama player, but as in also from my number four, not from yours, who I know is Florida State. (laughs) Um, But also, also an Oklahoma player, Jalen Hurts. I feel like this is no secret. Um, you probably could have guessed I was going to put Jalen Hurts on my list. Um, I did. I was a huge, I was a huge fan of Jalen Hurts at Alabama. First, as starting quarterback, but obviously he captured a lot of people's hearts in a way. Like you know when he got benched for Tua, and there wasn't like the slightest bit of resentment there. It was immediately shifting into I'm cheering for my teammate. And then coming back in when necessary, like just like the like consummate professional, even as a as a kid, right? He's like 19, 20 years old at this time, and he's handling that better than I would have now. You know? Sure. Then he goes to Oklahoma then he goes to Oklahoma, balls out. And now, you know, into the NFL, he just led the Eagles to a Super Bowl appearance. Like Jalen Hurts is one of those guys that like the arm talent might not wow you. The running t- ability like, is great, but there are better. But he has that it factor. He's somehow going to will his team to victory in ways like that we can't necessarily predict. And he does all this while being a genuinely great guy. Like He's really, really hard to root against. I, I feel like even, like you know, we aren't Georgia fans, but we know plenty of them. And I feel like even when, like, that Georgia-Alabama rivalry is fierce. And even when Hurts was Alabama's quarterback, Georgia fans didn't really go after him. He's just a likable, mm-hmm. charismatic baller. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. that's why he's my number three. Yeah. Definitely an all-around good guy. You know, not many people would have been able to take getting benched in the national championship game in front of millions and millions and millions of people. Um, and you know, who knows, like maybe the fact that he took it really well and, and led by example to the rest of his team, maybe that had an impact on them being able to come back and win that game. Um, then he goes about his business. You don't really hear anything about it. He just transferred to Oklahoma because it was obvious, like he needed to play somewhere, but he didn't make a big stink about it. You know, whatever. He just did what, what he needed to do. Balled out Oklahoma, you know? Got drafted by the Eagles and people were were doubting him. 
It took him a little while to get his feet under him, but once he did, he's proven to be, you know, top 10 quarterback in the NFL right now, but probably even top five. So yeah, respect to Jalen Hurts for sure. And like you said, not the flashiest player, but he, he gets the job done. You know, when you watch him run the ball, he's not like Lamar Jackson, who by the way is my number two. Um, he's not like, he's not really going to make you miss like crazy, not going to do any of these crazy jump cuts or really accelerate by you as much, but he can take a hit and he can deliver one and he has enough speed, and enough elusiveness to get away. Um, so, so yeah, I, I do appreciate Jalen Hurts' game and, um, you know, like you said, how he handled that whole situation at Alabama. So, like I said, Lamar Jackson, my number two player. Um, my number one player is a Florida State player. And so that is what kind of pushed him up to the top. If Lamar Jackson had played at Florida State, I probably would never, like he would be my favorite player of all time, like for the rest of my life, probably. Um, I, so obviously he played at Louisville. So we saw him most years um, at Florida State. And I got to be honest, when we played Louisville, I was sitting there about to like, you know, like on the edge of my seat, like really concerned because I didn't know not only was Lamar going to test our team. And at that point, Florida state was still, you know, a really solid team, (laughs) but it was a little bit before the demise. Um, Hey, we're, we're kind of back this year, but I was, I was like legitimately concerned that not not only was he going to beat us, but he was going to humiliate us and he was going to make all of our really good players look terrible um, because he was just that electric. I mean, when I think about running quarterbacks, obviously Johnny Manziel, we talked about uh, Michael Vick. That was a little bit before our time when he was in college, but still you watch the highlights and he's crazy. To me, there's never been a more electric playmaker in college football than Lamar Jackson was like his highlights are ridiculous. Um, like when in an open offense, like in college football, even we've seen it in the NFL some, but in college, the amount of space that you have on the field, it's just made for a guy like him. Um, obviously like not the most accurate thrower of the football at times, but he did enough with that to, you know, win the Heisman, but just <laughs> his ability to take off and you didn't know what was going to happen, but the defense didn't know either. And before you knew it, he was gone. And legitimately you're like, how is that guy a quarterback? Uh, just so, so fun to watch. Probably my favorite opponent that I've ever watched play my team and like, the most respect that I've had of just like, man, he just, he just diced us up. And like, I can't even really be that mad because that was so freaking fun to watch. So shout out to Lamar. Um, I still, you know, I still like him in the NFL, but his college days like that stands far and above anything else. I think he's accomplished in the NFL. I know that he won MVP and he had that great season, but when he won the Heisman, those highlights and just the way that that he played, it was just unreal. When I said I was watching plenty of college football highlights in preparation of this, yeah, Lamar Jackson's 
were one of those that I watched. Um, Lamar did not make my top five, though he'd be an honorable mention. I think, you know, I knew I wanted Mark Ingram and I knew I wanted Jalen Hurts. And so I was like, Johnny or Lamar, Johnny just made me watch football a little more um, or be more invested in the SEC or whatever. But yeah, Lamar, his highlights are unreal as well. Um, It's funny, like, just go, I mean, there are plenty of like different factors that go into this. But you look at how Lamar in a lot of ways just doesn't command a lot of respect in the NFL in certain ways. Like he's still kind of dismissed as an, as an elite NFL quarterback, despite winning MVP. But you look at college and it was like, he wins the Heisman. It's like, yeah, no shit. Have you seen him? He's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's just funny how that dynamic is different. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, you will get no arguments from me on that one. Yeah. One other it's, thing it, that I I forgot to mention. So Lamar got, I think he was the fifth quarterback drafted in that draft. And for me, I could, I'd, I'll give myself a little bit of credit. I could not believe that somebody thought that there were four quarterbacks out there who were better than Lamar Jackson. I'm like, I don't care if he needs, you know, additional reps and, and, you know, needs to work within a pro style offense and like, you know, he needs to get more accurate, whatever. Like if you put that man on any football field anywhere, he's going to find ways to make plays. Like I, I could not understand. I still don't understand how so many teams passed on him. Basically every team did. Um, and how like that was the, the, uh, the draft with Josh Rosen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, him and Sam Darnold, like, I'm sorry, uh-uh. No chance would, would I have drafted those two guys above Lamar. And that was before, you know. I thought to be, I thought he was probably right up there um, as the best quarterback in that draft. Because it was just obvious to me. <laughs> like, just watch the guy play. So, yeah, that, that still kind of gets me to this day, the disrespect. All right, so... I just looked up that 2018 NFL draft. Here are the quarterbacks that went before Lamar. Number one overall, Baker Mayfield. Number three overall, Sam Darnold. Number seven overall, Josh Allen. That one aged well. Number 10 overall, Josh Rosen. And then Lamar Jackson at 32nd. What? <laughs> Like, it's easier to look at back on now that uh, Lamar Jackson's won MVP. But coming off the Heisman, like, you're telling me you watched Lamar Jackson and went, nah, Josh Rosen. <laughs> like, I, I don't get it. It's the uncoachable shit that we talk about all the time. Like, I don't care what dots he threw at his workouts. You know, he I, t- I can tell you what he's not going to do in the NFL that you know he's not gonna run like lamar mm-hmm. exactly okay my number two i saved my michigan guys for two and one and now it's time for me to address defense and that's with jabril peppers who was almost 
the next defensive player to win the Heisman. Who, um, and he would have followed the footsteps of Charles Woodson in doing so. Also, speaking of, occasionally showing up on offense. Good old two-way player. There we go. Um, now, while it hasn't really worked out for him in the NFL, I mean, he's still he's still found his way on rosters his whole career, but he's not like exploding as like a baller or anything in the NFL. But he is just more of a college football player than an NFL player when it comes down to like the size and everything. But the way you talked about Derwin as a Swiss Army knife. Yeah, Jabril could do whatever you needed him to do on the football field. I mean, I never saw him punt, but like, you know, short of that, you want you want him to return a kick? Sure. You want him to go block a punt? Sure. You want him to drop back in coverage as a safety? You got it. You want him to blitz? Sure. You want like whatever you you want him to line up with the slot receiver in man to man? Why not? Like he's literally doing everything out there. Um, when he gets an interception you know, he's taking that, you know, like that, whether or not for a touchdown, he's giving you good field position off of it. Like dude could literally do everything. And he was just the type of player, like before the snap, your eyes just go, where's Jabril? I want to know what he's about to do. And like 98 times out of a hundred, it was the right thing. Like this was coinciding with Michigan's defense. Like, really coming back you know for a while there in my life our defense was not good and you know the past like six or seven years it's been elite and Jabril was really like at the forefront of like establishing that culture because it is a culture thing at the end like at the end of the day uh you need to have guys that are not just good but committed to making that happen and Jabril was that leader he was that dynamic player I credit him in addition to Harbaugh of course with bringing Michigan defense back. And that's so good. But also just to, like, we know what the Heisman award is. And usually that's a quarterback award. To put your name in the hat as a defensive player says something about your abilities and your electricity. For sure. Yeah, I knew Jabril was going to be in there and I know who your number one's going to be too. Um, (laughs) But yeah, Jabril definitely, I mean, I would take Derwin personally. But Jabril was definitely, you know, the guy for Michigan. And it's a little surprising he hasn't had more of an effect uh, in the NFL. But like you said, he is more of that college player and he could do everything. So respect for that one. So I'm going to get into a few of my honorable mentions before I say my number one. Um, So Brock Bowers still has another year um, at at UGA. I'm very excited to see how he does in this upcoming season. I love watching this guy run with the football. Um, it almost, it, it's almost comical to me how like his shoulders are so broad and, and large and like he just, and he, the way that he runs in like that upright way, but he runs so fast um, and just like bowls people over. can also juke you out. Like just an unbelievable athlete. Um, it just brings me joy watching Brock Bowers run with a football, to be honest. Um, like how many tight ends do you see on a tight end sweep take it 75 yards to the house and outrun safeties and corners? Like this dude is, is ridiculous. I kind of wish that the Falcons 
didn't already have Kyle Pitts, so we could draft Brock Bowers. <laughs> uh, but do it anyway. Yeah, honestly, can you imagine Kyle Pitts and Brock Bowers? I am now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, anyways. <laughs> so yeah. So I love Brock Bowers. Maybe he, maybe he could crack the top five if he has a really good year this year. But, eh. But still, I just wanted to mention him as a current player. Um, the Joe Burrow Jamar Chase connection. I just lumped them in together because for me, it's hard to talk about one without talking about the other. Um, and Justin Jefferson is in there as well, of course. But like the the season that those two had together is unlike anything I've ever seen in college football. Um, Jamar Chase's ability um, after the catch and also just his speed and his ability to get open on vertical routes downfield and Burrow's ability to hit him in stride like every time. Um, and if he didn't, Jamar Chase would just moss the corner, like just unreal. Um, you know, both the numbers that they put up, the highlights, like the fact that it kind of came out of nowhere in a way, like I just loved watching that duo play, um, uh, and made LSU, obviously y- you had to watch them. And Joe Burrow is just so like you, I, part of me wants to hate him, but I just can't because he just pulls it off so well, like I don't typically don't like the arrogant guys, but Joe Burrow's like, yeah, that guy is freaking cool. Like, I can't deny that. Um, so that uh, that video of him, like that slow mo video of him, like smoking the cigar after they've won the national championship, I'm like, yeah, respect, respect to that guy. I want to hate it, but I can't. I have to interject because um, I feel the same way. Um, like. I guess it was like a week ago when that video from training camp came out where Joe Burrow had to be carted off. Mm-hmm. And I showed my fiance that. And I was like, you know, for a couple of reasons, first of all, that kind of stuff scares me. Um, I don't even know if irrational fear is the right thing to call it, but like, I think of that, I think of Kobe where it's like, obviously you see the big scary injuries where people get hit or whatever, but the ones that really freak me out, are the ones that are just from routine moves, non-contacts. Um, because I'm like, oh, I don't have to worry about getting injured, getting hit by a linebacker, but now I have to worry about like going and shooting baskets outside because I might just rotate incorrectly. Um, so anyway, there was that, and I hope he's going to be A-OK for the season. But number two, I was watching that, and I was just like, damn, I've never really thought about it until like now. But Joe Burrow is one of my favorite players in the NFL. Like, mm-hmm. if not my favorite. And there's something about him. It's it's the shit that I could never pull off in my life. Like, <laughs> True. If, even if I was in the NFL, like, my personality doesn't, like, can't carry that. You just be like, dude, you're, you're an asshole. Like, shut up. No one likes you. But, like, like Joe Burrow is just so damn swaggy. <laughs> but, like, in a completely different way than Baker Mayfield. Like, Baker Mayfield, yeah, you would say the yeah. same thing about but like in a completely different way. And like, you kind of want to hate him, but Joe Burrow, you're like, nah, that's actually cool. Cause he's not actually disrespectful. He's just kind of slyly disrespectful. Um, and also just like the way he carries himself and the way that he, you know, has put the Bengals on his back. Like he's really, cause the Bengals have had terrible luck at quarterback for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. and people forget like the Bengals were really bad before Joe Burrow went there. Um, people were saying like, yeah. ah, dang, poor Joe Burrow. Like he went to the Bengals. We were just saying, um, Baker Mayfield got, uh, yeah, Baker Mayfield got drafted by the Browns. 
Oh, dang. That's unfortunate. Johnny Manziel got drafted by the Browns. Uh, dang, that's unfortunate. You could say the same thing about the Bengals, except Joe Burrow's that guy. <laughs> and he didn't care. So, yeah, respect. I mean, we mentioned Johnny Manziel. When he got to the NFL, he was cocky. And NFL players hated him. Like, they would sack him and rub the, the cash money celebration in his face and then push him back down. And Joe Burrow, the defense, like, sacks him and helps him up. And like, hey, I respect you, dog. You know? Uh-huh. Like, you see those, like, NFL mic'd up and it's just no one, like, dislikes him. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's a similar, like, swagger. Just he does it the right way. He's whatever. Yeah. And I remember when there was a debate about whether the Bengals should draft an offensive lineman to help protect Burrow. Or get him Jamar Chase. And when they when they gave him Chase, I was like, hmm. On one hand, like, I don't know if I would have done that. But also, that's probably the smartest decision you could have done. Because those two together are insane. Um, so, obviously, I've loved watching that connection continue to evolve in the NFL. Um, so, yeah. So, that's them two. And then Rondale Moore at Purdue. You talk about a guy who's undersized, um, but doesn't play like it. That this guy, those highlights are crazy, and I feel like it it goes under the radar a bit because he played at Purdue and like, you know, they never really did anything. Um, but man, I I don't I'm not surprised that he hasn't really made an impact in the NFL yet because again, he's kind of more of that college player. But that little dude can freaking move and he can break a tackle and then just bounce right off and just keep on going for another like 40 yards for a touchdown. Like absolutely insane. So I, I loved watching him. And then finally, I want to shout out the entire 2013 Florida state Seminole team that won the BCS national championship because none of them made my list because I also could not choose between all of them. You got Kelvin Benjamin, just forget his NFL career. He was great and caught that last minute touchdown to, to win us the championship. Uh, Devontae Freeman, absolutely loved that guy. Roberto Aguayo, don't think about his NFL career. <laughs> um, he was absolutely like the best kicker we've ever seen in college football. Um, Telvin Smith, Jalen Ramsey, uh, Jameis Winston, um, Rashad Green. Like all these dudes were, were unbelievable. And gave me, that was my first ever championship that a a team that I cheered for won in my lifetime. And, you know, that was like my senior year of high school. And it was just unbelievable. So thank you to that entire roster. You're all in my honorable mentions because you made my dream a reality. So shout out to you. But number one, it always had to be him. It always had to be Dalvin. My guy. Oh boy, you talk about a guy who could take any handoff to the house. You knew what he was going to do. You knew we were going to run an outside zone. And yet nobody could seem to stop it because he was so freaking fast. Um, you you snap your fingers and all of a sudden he's gone um, straight to the house. Just an absolutely electric player to watch. Um, as a Florida State fan... There was nothing more exciting than when they handed the ball off to Dalvin Cook and you saw him like about to burst through the hole, knowing what was about to happen. And then just him just by himself, nobody around for 20 yards because he just ran past everyone. 
and just like there he goes again there mama there goes that man um just so fun to watch my favorite player um also obviously played for the vikings for a long time which just made me love him even more because that's my second team again struggle with some injuries but on his day i wouldn't have taken any other running back over dalvin in his prime um I'm interested to see where he's going to end up in the NFL as an aside, but in terms of college production, like it, it did not get any better than Dalvin. And I just absolutely fell in love with them and looked forward to seeing him play. I just wanted them to, to give him the ball every, every play. Um, Cause I knew that he was, he was probably going to go 80 yards. Yeah. I think we both knew what each other's number one was going to be. Um, yeah, there's a quote in The Longest Yard, if you remember one of my favorite sports movies, which, by the way, I've just decided is number one. I'm sorry, Remember the Titans. I know how good you are, but I rewatched The Longest Yard recently, and I'm like, no, it, nothing beats this. Anyway, there's a quote after they get their running back, but before they get all, any other skill positions, where they're practicing just handing him the ball, and one of the coaches like, we can't just give him the ball every time. It's just like, that's like you with Dalvin. Like we just give him the ball every time. I mean, one coach. Like, yeah. Like even if it doesn't work the first two plays on third down, he'll probably break it on fourth down. He'll probably break it. Just yeah. keep giving it to him. Just give him the ball every time. Find an answer. Exactly. So I guess it's my turn for some honorable mentions. First of all, I have to say, because you had said this with Lamar, like that you'd never felt that way about an opposing player. And that made me think like, what like Michigan rivals have I enjoyed? Um, I hate everybody at Ohio State. Um, I did like Carlos Hyde. Um, Cardale Jones? And, no, I hate everybody okay. except Carlos Hyde. Okay. <laughs> um, but at Penn State, um, we talked about Saquon. But Trace McSorley, uh, like, what a guy. The cool thing about Trace McSorley is he shows up in a lot of Saquon's highlights because he always shows up to block at the end, yeah. which you don't see a lot of from quarterbacks. So I just wanted, wanted to shout him out. Um, you mentioned a current player in Brock Bowers. I love Blake Corum at Michigan. Um, and... There's not room for him, especially like given the whole like two guys from our college thing. But when he's done at Michigan, he very well might be in my top five. Um, and a shout out. This was a guy that was on Michigan's team when I first started watching college football. If we had done three players from our college, he would have been number five. Um, a guy that made me appreciate defense. Uh, he's still on the team that drafted him. That's the Eagles. This is Brandon Graham. You already know. Uh, I do. That one hurt me to not put him in the top five. Um, and let's see. One more. Tyler, if you're listening, you'll love this. I did really like Eric Berry. <laughs> he, he was fun to watch in the secondary. What can I say? He was, yeah. And, then his, and the story, uh, too. You know, the story is elite. So. Yeah, for sure. You know. Um, so wanted to give them shout outs. CJ Spiller at Clemson was fun too. Um, That's a good one. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, that dude was crazy. Like 
put it like his running plays for one, but like putting him at a kick and punt return too. Who? Uh-huh. So yeah, there's all that. You already know I was gonna put Denard Robinson as number one, man. There was there was no one else. Uh when I say like my favorites go Denard at one and then for a long time there's nothing and then Jabril at two, the distance between them is so vast. Like <laughs> Jabril would have had to win the Heisman twice to pass Denard for me. Um Yeah. Go ahead and watch Johnny Manziel highlights if you want. But then go ahead and watch Denard Robinson. Like, Denard Robinson was doing, like, similar shit on a less good team. Like, I lament the fact that Denard Robinson's career at Michigan was wasted by that pathetic joke of a head coach, Brady Hoke. Brady joke. Brady joke, yeah. Like, trash. Like, like take Michigan's defense for what it's been the past like four or five years with Jim Harbaugh and give him Denard Robinson and tell me that's not a championship team waiting to happen. It is like Denard is what you said about Dalvin, but without the burden of having to hand the ball off to someone else. Um, several of his plays on his highlight reel are literally like our dog shit center of the time, just miss snapping. And then Denard picking the ball up off the ground and then running 70 yards. Because <laughs> why the hell not? <laughs> like, make him miss, run it 75 yards to the house. Why not? Just do whatever. Um, not to mention, just like, the dude is like an incredibly humble guy, despite being so like talented at that level. Um, not the best thrower of the football. The decision making wasn't great, um, except when he pulled big, it down to run. Yeah, <laughs> those decisions were normally pretty good. He had the ability to make great throws; they exist in his highlights. It's just that he's threatening as a runner, and it sucks for him to be in a position where, like, the defense let him down. So he like everyone knows he has to throw to stay in the game type. And when he's forced to throw, that's when it's not going to work out. Um, but yeah, the the way Denard, like if Michigan was, I mean, kind of like this now, but like for different reasons. But like when Michigan had the ball, I was not blinking like because any given play could be the most exciting play of the week because of Denard Robinson. Um, you already knew. You already know I had to like wear his jersey just for this episode. Yeah, Denard is number one. There was no competition. There may never be any competition for that one. I mean, when you're on the cover of one of the most iconic sports video games of all time, you know you've done something right. Uh, yeah, Denard was crazy. Um, and your love for him has no bounds. So my um my fiance is not going for the whole naming our second son Denard, but I'll be damned if I'm gonna stop trying. <laughs> <laughs> I respect it. Uh at one point in my life I th- I wanted my my kid's name to be Devante after Devante Freeman. So, you know, I've I've been there. Uh I've since moved on past that, but 
still. Uh, cool. Well, that wraps up our top five uh, favorite college football players of all time, combined top 10. Um, as always, let us know who your top five would be on social media at Mike and Dave Pod. Um, we'd love to hear who you have, um, but you have to follow our rule. Only two guys from the school that you cheer for because I could have definitely filled out my my top five of just Florida State guys, and I would have been happy with that, but it's not as fun. So, um, so yeah, definitely let us know. Um, and when we come back, we're going to get into some f- fantasy football players to keep an eye on for this upcoming season. All right, so like we said earlier, we've got fantasy football right around the corner. Uh, if you're listening and you do fantasy football on a regular basis, then you probably have a draft coming up soon especially with the NFL season starting in just a few weeks. If you've already drafted, what are you doing? Everyone knows you wait for the Mike and Dave podcast to cover fantasy football, and then you draft. Come on, get with it. Um, Tell the commissioner of your league, hold on. We got to wait until the new podcast episode comes out. You know the rules. Come on. So if you have already drafted, just draft a new one. Scrap that one, listen to this episode, and then draft again. It's okay. So we're going to break down some players in three categories. Number one, players on new teams uh, that we maybe want to manage expectations for just a little bit. Number two, some sleepers that you might look at a little later in the draft that might be worth looking into. And number three, some players to avoid whether that's avoid drafting altogether or just avoid drafting them at their ADP. And it's at this moment that I want to say you will hear ADP a lot in this segment. That stands for average draft position. This is where these players are showing up in a lot of mocks and drafts so far. As of right now, we're recording this on August 8th. So when we talk about, oh yeah, this is the ADP 25th, that means this is the 25th player to go on average. So just wanted to give a little index for that one. For sure. And we're using ESPN because that's what we use to play fantasy football. So um, cool. Well, I'll go ahead and start with the players that changed teams. So the first one for me that came to mind was DeAndre Hopkins. Currently being drafted as wide receiver 21. So just outside of those, you know, wide receiver one, wide receiver two places. I think... It's somewhat reasonable right now for him to be drafted at that point. Uh, obviously, he's had a couple of rough seasons, uh, starting with injuries, with quarterback play, etc. When he's healthy, we already know DeAndre Hopkins is one of the better receivers in the NFL. He is got, getting a little older, though, and he's on a Titans team where I don't care if the quarterback is Tannehill, if it's Malik Willis, if it's Will Levis. Like, I am not interested <laughs> And any of them, I don't think any of them are really going to make DeAndre Hopkins better. I think it'll be the opposite of anything. Hopkins is not going to have much competition for targets on the Titans. Uh, He will be far and away the number one option. Uh, So in that respect, yeah, I, I do kind of like that because if they're throwing the ball, chances are like three out of five times is probably going to be to, to D hop. So I like that, but there is that injury risk, um, which is just unfortunately 
what we've grown accustomed to with the last couple of years with, with DeAndre that, and obviously the suspension too. So, you know, you have to weigh the, these things, the uneven quarterback play and the injuries versus the opportunity and the talent. So I think outside of those top 20 receivers makes a lot of sense. Um, because it is a risky investment, but it's one that could pay off. And it's not as risky as some other players that I'll get into later um, that I definitely wouldn't go for of guys coming off injuries or, or whatever. So in terms of DeAndre Hopkins, I wouldn't expect him to be that you know top five receiver that's going to carry you to a championship. I do think he could still be a solid player to have on your roster but I just wouldn't draft him like, you know, you're expecting him to be one of your starting players every week. Uh, I would have him like on the bench and then potentially if he starts getting hot and playing well, then maybe you, you know, you can put him in. But I would not overdraft him because of the risks involved, like I said. We say a lot, and this will probably come up multiple times throughout this segment, but the best ability is availability. And he can't get you points if he's not on the field. So yeah, obviously the talent's there, but the combination of Titans offense and his health or sometimes lack thereof is tough. Mm -hmm. For sure. And the next guy is Darren Waller. And I'm just going to go ahead and say him because it's kind of similar. Um, Obviously when he's healthy, he is a top five tight end in the league. He's being drafted as tight end five currently reports out of training camp say he's looking really good. Uh, Daniel Jones has improved over time. He's solidified there as their QB one. And once again, he's probably going to be the number one guy in terms of targets for the giants. So the opportunity is there, but again, you have to weigh the quarterback play and you have to weigh the injury risk. And unfortunately, Waller hasn't finished a full season, I think in two, three years. So it's definitely a risk. Um, at tight end five, it's a little high for me um, because of the risk, but obviously tight ends like beyond Travis Kelsey at this point is kind of a crapshoot. Like sure, you've got Kittle and, and Mark Andrews, but you really can't depend on on most of these guys for, for production. So Waller's definitely worth taking risk on, but if there are other receivers and other running backs you feel good about, right around where Darren Waller's projected, just just wait for another tight end. There are going to be other tight ends that will break out and have decent seasons. That'll be fine. But Waller is, is definitely a boomer bust type of guy. And then finally, Aaron Rodgers is my third one. If you haven't heard already, I don't know how you haven't. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is now a New York Jet and is very excited um, about that fact. Listen, I think... Obviously, Rodgers is getting on in years. Um, We've seen plenty of quarterbacks before defy time. Tom Brady, obviously, is the one that comes to mind at first and still proved to be effective even into their late 30s, early 40s. Rodgers has the arm talent for sure. Um, He has the, the football IQ to go into a new team, a new offense, and do fine. I will say he's only ever played for one team before. And so there is some level of adaptability that's going to need to be made there. Really what I'm looking at is the Jets offensive line is kind of trash. Um, And his offensive pieces 
Brees Hall is nice when he's healthy. We'll see how healthy he is to start the season. But his receivers don't instill a ton of confidence in me. Um, obviously, Garrett Wilson is is their number one. I do like him. Um, but other than that, I'm not really loving the depth there. So right now, Aaron Rodgers, QB 12. I just, I don't know. Um, at that point, he's not your starter if you're drafting around that point. So as a backup option, I don't mind it. Uh, I just would not draft him as like, I'm going to start Aaron Rodgers day one. Um, I think we need to wait and see on him to see, is he gelling with with the new offense, with his new offensive coordinator, et cetera, et cetera. So as long as you're managing expectations for him and you're not saying, yep, Aaron Rodgers is my you know week one starting quarterback, then I think he's probably worth taking a punt on as your backup. And I just want to add one thing real quick because we're approaching this from like standard PPR leagues. If you're doing super flex, then this changes the equation just a little bit for you because most people are going to want to run two quarterbacks in their starting lineup. And just to bring that up in in connection with what you just said about Aaron Rodgers, at ADP 12, Still, like he should be your quarterback too at that point. If you're looking to draft Aaron Rodgers, and this is basically the point of what you said when you said drafting for your bench, like Aaron Rodgers should not be the, you shouldn't look for Aaron Rodgers as the best quarterback that you have. QB2, fine. QB1, you could do better. For sure. So yeah, so those are my three. Uh, Mike, what about you? So my first two, I want to look at Eagles running backs. First of all, Eagles running back past Miles Sanders. So he did have a career year last year. I understand. Career highs in yards and touchdowns. Um, All that being said, last year he finished as running back 21. Uh, This year his ADP is 61.2, which has him as the 19th highest running back. So like this is, it's not this simple, but like, at its face, that means they're expecting more when the reality is he's going from the Eagles offensive line to the Panthers. Um, that doesn't inspire a ton of optimism. Not only that, like when you look at some of the more advanced stats for um, for running backs, like, you know, who creates plays based off of like missed tackles created and, and uh, broken tackles and all that. Miles Sanders doesn't rate all that highly. The reality of his situation last year was he succeeded because of that Eagles offensive line. Um, I'm not hating on him, but the elite like separation is not there. And that doesn't bode well for a guy in Carolina. Like when CMC was balling there, it's because CMC is a baller. So I would expect a dip in production from Miles Sanders. He's going to be the number one guy there. But I wouldn't expect him to produce at a similar level to last year. Um, Now to a present Eagles running back, DeAndre Swift uh, coming over from the Lions. Now, let's get this out of the way. The talent is there, obviously. He is good. Um, I just question his ceiling in terms of a fantasy running back this year like how much will he actually produce now 
he is um his ADP is at 95 which makes him the 29th highest running back maybe this is just like being regionalist but it's hard for me like in Georgia to imagine 28 running backs getting drafted before DeAndre Swift um in the fantasy leagues that we'll actually participate in but I'm looking at you know this isn't major major injury history but he has missed at least three games every year of his career um and he doesn't fumble much, which is good, but he also doesn't score a lot of touchdowns. What's more which is, is bad. Like when you look at, yeah, which is bad. <laughs> What's more is when you look at the Lions last year, they clearly preferred to give the ball to Jamal Williams, uh, like in the, in the red zone, specifically at the goal line, right? And now he goes to the Eagles. Jalen Hurts was top three in the league in goal line uh, rush attempts. Like we know where the ball is going to go and it's not in the hands of DeAndre Swift in those in close scoring opportunities. And he's also there with Rashad Penny, who until they were able to trade for DeAndre Swift, the Eagles were comfortable naming their starter. Like this is going to be a committee and not a uh, a workhorse. Um, yeah. So just be prepared. DeAndre Swift is here to split carries and for that matter, split catches with Kenneth Gainwell. Like, this this Eagles team, yes, they have a great offensive line, but they have three running backs that they're going to be prepared to, prepared to utilize. And four, if you include Boston Scott, who every <laughs> once in a while will show up and you know poach a few carries here and there. So yeah, I completely agree. The Eagles, when they have had you know a clear RB one, then you know that makes that player valuable for fantasy purposes. This year, I don't see that being the case. You know, I had DeAndre Swift last year. It was real boom or bust because um, he has the ability to take it to the house, uh, you know, 75 yards. And if he does that one time, then he's already paid off your belief in starting him and your decision to start him. But like you said, there are way too many mouths to feed. AJ Brown's also a big red zone threat, like Dallas Goddard is as well. So you got to pay attention to that too. So yeah, I agree. I'm not, I'm not loving DeAndre Swift. Um, at that 29 spot. I think there are other guys like even Jamal Williams at 33. You know Alvin Kamara is going to be out for the first three games, so you know Jamal Williams is probably going to be a pretty good option. And then even when you come back, we were just talking about him uh, you know, getting a lot of that work from DeAndre Swift. I can see the same kind of thing happening with him and Alvin Kamara because Kamara has not looked the same the past couple seasons as he, as he did before. So you know, there are other guys around that same area that I would probably prefer over Swift because you know that they're going to be more reliable and get more opportunities to score. For sure. And uh, my last guy switching from running back to receiver is DJ Moore, who's now on the Bears. So let's start with the good stuff. He's going to be the number one option. <laughs> Uh, and I mean, you alluded to that with uh, DeAndre Hopkins. You know, there's something to be said about being the clear X receiver. Um, he's talented, obviously. Uh, in three of his five seasons, all of which with the Panther were with the Panthers, he's eclipsed a thousand yards. Last year was his lowest yardage year, and he still had like just under 900, but he had a career high of seven touchdowns. Like, he's good, you know. Um, now the bad stuff. He plays for the Bears now. So, 
That means his quarterback is being protected, and I use that word incredibly loosely, by the Bears' offensive line. Uh, this is an offensive line. I guess I use that loosely too. This is a wet paper bag that let Justin Fields get sacked 55 times last season. When they played the Packers, he didn't get sacked. He took multiple sacks every other game of the season. DJ Moore's not going to have time to get open. <laughs> like, like Justin Fields, I mean, I don't know if you're going to talk about him later or not as a fantasy option at quarterback. He's going to create some points for you on the ground because he's going to be running for his life. <laughs> like, if he's not getting points for you, he's getting injured. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, forget reliable quarterback play. Um, TJ Moore does not have reliable offensive line play. It's tough out there. Um, he is the clear number one target, but not in an offense that bodes well for a passing game. And I guess to talk about where he's being drafted, he's being drafted as the 24th highest wide receiver. When realistically, I'd be looking at him as like wide receiver three, maybe like give or take. So 24, like you're starting to look at that, but like I would maybe go closer to 30, 35, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other guys around that same area, Terry McLaurin, Mike Evans, Deontay Johnson, Mike Williams, Tyler Lockett, Brandon Ayuk. Yeah. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about most of those other players. I mean, there's a reason why all of them are in the twenties, right? But at that point you're, you're evaluating risk versus reward and DJ Moore. It is risky because it's also a new system. He's only ever played in Carolina. So he's got to get used to that as well. Uh, so now we're going to get into our three sleepers or guys who are getting drafted pretty late who we think could be uh, steals for you in your draft. So I'm going to start off with a tight end. And that's Dalton Schultz, who is currently being drafted um, as the 12th tight end, so not even your starter, at hundred, you know, 123rd uh, overall. Dalton Schultz, obviously, he's now with the Texans. Um, the Cowboys, it was probably a much more dynamic offense than the Texans have. However, what's a quarterback's best friend? It's normally the tight end. Normally, the you know, quarterbacks, especially rookies, they're looking over the middle of the field. They're trying to to find, you know, underneath throws. They're trying to, you know, take this the safe options a lot of the time. They're not going to take as many risks. And Dalton Schultz is exactly that kind of guy um, who's able to get open underneath, who's a reliable target, um, who can, you know, still run down the seam and, and make explosive plays happen. But, you know, in Houston, who else is he really going to be competing with for targets? Not a whole lot of guys. Um, so, you know, CJ Stroud, I fully expect to start over Davis Mills. And I think Dalton Schultz is going to be his favorite target. And so at tight end 12, I think he can definitely be your starting tight end from day one. And you can feel pretty good about that. I don't think he's necessarily going to be like a top three tight end, but I think he's going to be definitely worth the value there uh, and probably, you know, outperform his ADP. So I'm definitely in on Dalton Schultz this year. Another guy that I think is getting disrespected is Juju Smith-Schuster. Now, he, he he also could have qualified for last category, but, you know, 
he wasn't quite as big of a name, so we we didn't go for that. But I'm still going to talk about him because Juju is somehow being drafted as wide receiver 44, which is pretty, that's pretty low. That's not even wide receiver three. That's like wide receiver four. Um, so that's, that's really, really low. Obviously, Juju didn't have a great season last year, but he didn't have a bad season. He's now on the Patriots. And to be honest, I look at the Patriots and I think, finally, they have an actual offensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien, in there to call, like to help call plays, help an actual functional offense happen because whatever they were doing last year with Matt Patricia did not work. I don't know why they thought that would work, to be honest. Friggin' <laughs> Bill Belichick, I don't know if he just, he's getting old and like his brain just had a brain fart or something. I don't know. That was a terrible decision. Thankfully, it only took one year for him to rectify that. So Bill O'Brien's going to come in. I think Mac Jones is going to have a bit of a bounce back season. Not, I don't think he's a pro bowler. Don't get me wrong. Or a top 100 player. But I think he's going to have a bounce back season. Uh, Bill O'Brien's going to put Mac Jones in positions to um, you know, have some easier throws. And Juju is a reliable receiver. He's not as explosive after the catch as he used to be. But again, he's not really going to be fighting too many guys for targets. I mean, Devontae Parker to a degree. But I think Juju has the capability of being a decent flex option every week for you. Um, and there's upside there because the Patriots offense, I think people are thinking about it as like, eh, that's not going to be that good. And I don't think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be better than it was. And Juju is definitely a guy who could benefit off of that and is not going to end up as the 44th tight or the 44th wide receiver at the end of the season, unless he gets hurt. So that's my number two. And then my number three, this one, I find a little bit hard to believe. I got to be honest. Um, Alexander Madison has been arguably the best handcuff running back to own in fantasy over the past three or four seasons. Uh, He, whenever Dalvin Cook has gotten injured, which to be fair, has been somewhat frequently, Alexander Madison comes in and pretty much there is no drop-off. If anything, sometimes Alexander Madison had better games than Dalvin was having. And yet somehow, Alexander Madison, now that Dalvin's gone, he's the clear number one option. He's being drafted at running back 23? Not even a starting running back, a flex option is what he's being drafted as. I don't understand it. I got to be honest. I don't understand it. Obviously, the Vikings believe in him enough to work, to let Dalvin go. He's performed every single time that he's, you know, had the opportunity to do so. And now he's the unquestioned number one in an offense that is pretty explosive in terms of fantasy purposes. I'm looking at a guy who's like, I would be thinking like 13 instead of 23 in terms of running backs. So in my drafts, and Mike, you better not steal this from me. In my drafts, I'm going after Alexander Madison as soon as it you know starts getting around that that time. Um, I'm looking at him and I'm saying, yes, that is. I feel completely comfortable starting Alexander Madison as my running back t- too. Um, I feel really, really good about that. So I would definitely target him if you're looking at running backs. Um, you know, looking at maybe getting a, a running back and a wide receiver as your first couple picks. And then maybe like two receivers and, you know, you wait a little bit for your second running back. I think Madison's a really good option. Yeah. Alexander Madison is definitely one of those ones. That's just like, 
every time. Like you said, every time he's asked to perform, he just does. I don't know where they got that 23. Um, yeah, as for like when we're drafting, no promises. Uh, Come on, Cody. No. Um, I'll do what I can. All right. Um, but yeah, so for one of my sleepers, I also went with a running back, and that's Antonio Gibson, who's being drafted as the 36th highest running back, which definitely feels low to me, uh, given that last year was the only year of his career where he didn't eclipse a thousand yards and double digit touchdowns. And that was because of the production of JD McKissick, who's now gone. Um, additionally, this is going to be a run heavy team. Who's going to be their quarterback, Sam Howell. Yeah. The commanders are running. <laughs> um, Gibson is commanding them touches. And I don't think Brian Robinson is going to be as much competition as it seems like other people are expecting him to be. Um, Especially like like Antonio Gibson has been doing better like as a pass catching back as well. Um, he's going to get uh, opportunities to score in the air and on the ground for a team that wants to run. Um, 36, you're looking at like for sure bench player. Um, I'm not saying he's top 20, but like he could creep his way into it by the end of the season. He's worth having there on your bench and I wouldn't let him slide past you. Yeah, I think as a flex option, he definitely, especially with the pass catching, he's he's going to have the ability to come in as your flex and perform. And there's upside because he is a dynamic player. He's just, you know, hasn't been the most effective, but I completely agree. I think that's a, a really good value. I like the fact that this guy went to Michigan, but that's not why I'm talking about him. But sure. Like Michigan. Um, Nico Collins. Here we go. <laughs> the Michigan homerism continues. Here we go uh, with the Ohio State quarterback. Um, Nico Collins is at wide receiver 60, despite the fact that he'll be wide receiver one in Houston. Um, you mentioned um, you mentioned with Dalton Schultz, like who is uh, CJ Stroud going to throw to? Dalton Schultz and Nico Collins. Um, so we kind of went the same route there. Uh, you went the tight end route. I went the receiver route. Um, and this is kind of similar to what I just said. Like, am I here to say Nico Collins should be wide receiver 15? No. But I'm saying you should be on your roster. And at 60, you're looking at like, I mean, if there are 10 guys in your league that would have an average of six receivers per roster, which means he's probably not on one. Um, yeah, Nico Collins is going to be on my roster, if nothing else. Um Interesting stat, he was hauling in 66% of his contested catches last season, which is wild, um, especially uh, at his age. Like, this is a guy that hasn't entered his prime yet. Um, and he has, the, like, this is an opportunity where C.J. Stroud going in uh, as Houston's quarterback has this, like, the security blanket option as in Dalton Schultz, and then the bigger play type in Nico Collins. Um like as the outside receiver. So especially if you have a combination of the two of them, you have basically all of CJ Stroud's completions for you. Not that I'm recommending doing that in your starting lineup, but Robert Woods has something to say about that. I'm sure. But also coming off a really down year for Tennessee. I don't know 
how much he has left in the tank. Maybe he's more of a mentor and also gets involved on like, you know, between the twenties, but I'm sure he'll, he'll have something to say. Also, John Mitchie is interesting. Uh, obviously missed mm-hmm. all of last year with leukemia, I believe it was, uh, but he's healthy mm-hmm. now and ready to go. So like he has potential obviously from Alabama. Um, but yeah, Nico Collins has pretty much the, the pedigree there. Um, you know, being on the Texans roster for a couple of years now to where he's probably the number one guy to target at receiver. But even with the homerism, like wide receiver 60, like if you're going to take a flyer on somebody, I can see Nico Collins being a good option to do so. And let's see for my number three, Dave, you tell me, do you want a quarterback or a receiver? You know, I I'm looking for a quarterback. Who's going to be my QB2 okay. that could potentially blossom? Geno Smith is rated as the 15th highest QB right now, uh, despite finishing top five last year. Uh, and he's bringing back the same two wide receiver weapons in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, and then adding Jackson Smith and Jigba to the mix. Like, I don't know what step down they're expecting. Granted, age 31 is a weird year to say that he had a breakout season. I don't know if that's what they're factoring in, but he's a quarterback. This isn't a running back, you know, uh, age 31. What is that? Um, I don't see any reason to expect all of a sudden 10 more quarterbacks to be better than him, uh, coming off the season he just had. Um, Daniel Jones is also going to be an interesting one. Um, he's being raised the 14th highest quarterback right above Gino. Um, and he finished top 10 last year, and he's added weapons in Paris Campbell and, as you mentioned, Darren Waller when he plays. Um, not to mention you know that he's going to be producing on the ground as well. So uh, both of them in the mid-teens, that is talking about backup quarterback range, but they also were in starter quarterback range last year. And I don't really see like strong signs of like, here's why they won't do that again. In other words, like for them not to be, you're projecting other guys doing better instead of projecting them to do worse. And it feels safe to assume that they'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gino led the NFL in completion percentage last year. Right? You don't do that by accident. Um, like you said, it's a weird time to break out, but respect to him, pretty much everything should stay the same for the most part for the Seahawks, if not a little bit better because of Smith and Jigba. So. Yeah, I think definitely worth taking a flyer on Gino. So now I've got three players to avoid. Uh, I'm cheating a little bit because my first one is the rookie wide receivers. Uh, so that includes Smith and Jigba, Zay Flowers, Quentin Johnston, Jordan Addison to a smaller extent. Um, I think this is one of those things where we get really excited about rookie receivers and you know, we want them on our team because they're they're fun, they're shiny, they're new, they're exciting. Realistically, though, other than like Justin Jefferson, we haven't seen a rookie wide receiver really do anything in in a few years. Um, and it just even though it's it's fun and it's exciting, it's just not, you know, historically speaking, it's just not going to be you know, the move. And if you're looking for a guy who's really going to, you know, prove his value, 
and be worth it um, in your draft, like they're probably not going to have huge roles on their teams. Jordan Addison is a guy who is intriguing because he's taking that number two spot and Justin Jefferson commands a lot of attention. So I'm a little bit more interested in him, but still Hawkinson is there and he's going to get a lot of targets. Um, So I don't know about Addison, but like Zay Flowers, the Ravens don't throw the ball much anyway. Like I don't, even though he's talented, I don't know if he's going to see too much of the ball to start. Quentin Johnston, we've already got Mike Williams there who basically plays the same position that Quentin Johnston would play um, in that X receiver. And then obviously you've still got Keenan Allen, Josh Palmer is still there. Who's pretty good. Uh, And then Eckler, um, you know, we'll see if he plays or not, but he commands a lot of targets too. So like, I just don't, there's too many mouths to feed uh, there. And then Smith and Jigba, you've got Lockett and DK Metcalf in front of him. Even if he's really good, he's, he's not going to be seeing more targets than those two. So you got to look at, you know, where they get drafted and just the fact that they're rookies and rookies tend to struggle. And that doesn't mean that they're not going to be great in year two or year three, but they're probably not going to be worth drafting at their current positions. Um, the highest one, I believe, is Smith and Jigba at um, wide receiver 39. And then Addison's 43rd. Zay Flowers is 50th. And then Johnson's below that. So it's not like you're investing a whole lot, but I wouldn't jump on them super high. Um, you know, maybe at the end of your draft, it's like your last pick. You're like, if Smith and Jigba is still there, or Addison or something, like, sure, go for it. But don't expect too, too much out of them in their rookie year. And then I've got two receivers here as my other two that are kind of similar. I've got Odell and I've got Michael Thomas. So Odell right now is wide receiver 38. Michael Thomas is wide receiver 36. So pretty much they're right in that same area. And I just got to be honest. I don't understand why people are still getting excited about Michael Thomas. The dude hasn't shown that he can actually play in like three years. So like, I'm sorry. I'm, I need to see it before I'm willing to spend a draft pick on him. Like, yeah, he, he was, he was great that one year, uh, four years (laughs) ago or whatever. But like, since then we haven't seen anything. He's barely even seen the field. So it's just not worth it. There are plenty of other options that are a lot less risky. And to be honest, it's not even that high upside. Um, so him and then Odell is the same. Like I know Odell had a, a pretty good year with the Rams, but I think even that was overblown of how good he actually was. Cooper cup was the real star in that situation. <laughs> and Robert Woods was too. Like, and then Odell was number three. So sure. You're, you're still thinking of Odell as the superstar, the whatever, because of the name recognition, but he wasn't, I mean, I know he was playing well in the Super Bowl, and then he got hurt, whatever, but like, he's not that same guy. And so don't draft him and and start him and have your, him on your team and expect similar production because it's probably not going to happen. And he's very injury prone now. It's just is it is what it is. Odell was on my forever like my first ever fantasy football team, and that was when he really broke out and was amazing and it was fantastic. But so like I do have a soft spot for him in, in fantasy, but I think it's just he's past that point now. So I would not risk it. For him, and especially not for Michael Thomas, uh, because there's just too you know too much risk for me. Um, and then the same thing with the wide receivers as well, or the rookie wide receivers. So you're not about to hear a lot from me for this section, 
Number one, because one of my three was Michael Thomas, who has played 10 of the last 50 possible games. Yeah. He's, I wouldn't just say he's unreliable. I'd say you can rely on him not playing. So, yeah, no. Um, and then the other two, this is kind of the easy way out, but whatever. I'm going to hearken back here to something that we said all the way back on episode eight of the Mike and Dave podcast. That was just shy of two years ago when we did our fantasy football draft do's and don'ts. 49ers defense, ADP of 73.6. Don't draft a defense in the eighth round. <laughs> and follow... Um, if you're wondering, well, who's second? Is this starting the stream of, you know, drafting the defenses? Da, da, da. Second is the Bills, who are at ADP... 94.6 so even this is like like even the average there says okay someone's gonna go ahead and just jump at the 49ers defense and then no one will start panicking for two rounds and then you know two rounds later it's gonna be then you should really draft the second best defense no stream that just play the matchups your last two draft picks if that should be your defense and your kicker um which by the way my other one is the kicker, Justin Tucker, ADP 80.7. Again, eighth round, like ESPN. Like, I know this is not like the writers at ESPN. This is a, a statistic that comes from like the actual mock drafts that are happening. That means people are doing this. Eighth round, we're seeing a defense and a kicker. No, I, I'm talking round 16 okay <laughs> like come on yeah i i don't understand the whole kicker thing like there's an every single year there's a new number one kicker i know justin tucker is probably the best kicker in the nfl that doesn't mean he will be for fantasy purposes um so it's like it's sure it's a safe option you can easily find a top five kicker on the waiver wire most times um you know sometime throughout the season like it's I don't understand how like it's the opportunity cost, right? You're you're drafting what what you see to be a really good kicker who's probably going to, you know, be in the top five maybe of kickers in, you know, in the league in terms of fantasy football. But if in the eighth round, you're taking away the opportunity of some players um that could potentially be be league winners for you and i'm sorry the kicker is not going to be the league winner for you it's just not going to happen but like so the bills defense is at 82 um you could be getting george pickens christian kirk you know um dak prescott kirk cousins as decent you know fringe qb1 options and other guys like brandon cooks like Cortland sutton there are a lot of high upside receivers, running backs, tight ends, quarterbacks that are there. Just do that instead of drafting one who you think is going to be one of the best defenses. Because sure, the 49ers are probably going to have a good defense this year. I'm not going to doubt that. But like what's most important, like Mike said, is the matchups. You want who whoever's facing the Cardinals. <laughs> like you want whoever's facing the, the commanders, like things like that. It's just, that's just the way it is. That's how, 
defenses work in fantasy football. And so I will keep gladly seeing people continue to do this in my drafts. But we're telling you, Mike and Dave podcast listeners, do not be those people. Be the person in your draft lobby who's laughing at the person who drafted the 49ers as their like fifth quote player on their team. I was literally just about to say, every pretty much every time we draft, we're either we either make a point to hang out like in the same room or we do it like virtually. And we literally laugh at these people. Like, <laughs> there it goes. Like we knew it. The defense. We knew yeah. there was gonna be that one guy. Somebody was <laughs> oh, gonna no, do it. Oh no, he got Justin Tucker. Be my guest. Uh, and just as a point of reference, since I did this with the defense, second highest kicker is Evan McPherson, who is at ADP one oh six point seven, which by the way is still too damn high. But that's almost three round that's that is three rounds after Justin Tucker. So just to put this in perspective. That's three rounds worth of good flex option players that you could get to make up the difference. Even if you decide you want to get Evan McPherson, which I don't recommend doing in the 10th or 11th round or whatever. Let's just say that you were set on doing that. The three play, like the three other players you could get by passing up on Justin Tucker. You think that doesn't make up for like not drafting a kicker in the eighth round? Because Justin Tucker's only going to get like four more points on the season than Evan McPherson. Like, the difference is so damn marginal. It's not going to win you anything. Like, you might have one game this season where your kicker wins it for you. But, like, come on. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, if you want, go back and listen to episode eight because we go through all of our fantasy football do's and don'ts. Um, I can speak for myself and say most years I win one of my leagues. So, yeah, so definitely if you've got any other questions about fantasy football – DM us because I'm all about that fantasy football life. Um, so yeah, I would love to, you know, answer any of those questions and I'm sure Mike would as well, but this podcast is already starting to run a little bit long. So we're going to wrap it up there. Um, and when we come back, we're going to get into the hot seat and the fun fact as always. So per tradition, it's time to get into the hot seat where for this episode, we have a rare baseball fist fight. <laughs> between the Chicago White Sox, Tim Anderson, and the Cleveland Guardians, Jose Ramirez. So all I can say, you know, from coming from someone that doesn't watch baseball that much, is that I've seen the video, I've read up on a little bit. It's a, it's something to see. But uh, I'm going to kick it to Dave, who actually does watch and know more about baseball, to break this down a little bit more in depth. Yeah, so I'm sure that you've probably seen the video by now because it went very viral. Um, Probably because typically we don't see this in baseball. Like, this happens every other game, if not every game in hockey. Uh, But yeah, you don't really see actual fistfights in baseball that often. Typically, guys like run out of the dugouts. They'll like kind of do some light pushing and shoving and, you know, yelling at each other but nothing really happens like maybe guys like wrestle like like go to the ground but like it's not nothing crazy it's been a very long time since i have seen an umpire just like step to the side and be like all right you guys just go for it (laughs) let's see what you got um round one fight um so yeah so kind of the a little bit of the backstory so tim anderson 
and Jose Ramirez, both former All-Stars. Jose Ramirez, current All-Star, um, and usually perennial MVP candidate for Cleveland. Um, you know, Tim Anderson has been having a tough season this year, was the subject of trade rumors. Definitely a flamboyant type of personality, a guy who isn't afraid of talking trash, of showing off, all that kind of stuff. Jose Ramirez, a lot more of like the normal, like low-key type of superstar. Uh, so apparently Tim Anderson had been running his mouth um, talking about, you know, how, you know, Cleveland players and whatever um, also was like tagging guys too hard by like, you know, unnecessarily hard, like pushing people off the base, like all kinds of, you know, Bush league kind of stuff. So Jose Ramirez was, was talking to him like, dude, you need to cut this out. Like we're just here to, you know, play the game and have fun and like feed our families, like whatever. It's not that big of a deal. And so this all came to a head when Jose Ramirez hit a double, slid into second base, Tim Anderson was covering it, and basically Jose Ramirez slid between Anderson's legs, and they were just like, you know, stuck in that spot waiting until the umpire said like, okay, you're good, you can get up, whatever. So they start talking to each other, Jose Ramirez lifts up his arm, like, you're going to help me up? Tim Anderson's like, obviously not. (laughs) Are you trying to fight? Uh, because, you know, sure. And uh, Jose Ramirez is like, okay, let's let's do it. Like, um, obviously, if you've seen the video, they start swinging at each other. They're not fighters by any means, but Jose Ramirez does catch Tim Anderson with a big right hook, knocks him flat on his butt. Um, it was pretty funny, to be honest. Um, they get thrown out of the game. More, you know, a little bit more pushing and shoving, but nobody else really fights. Um, you know, comes out after the game. Jose Ramirez explains the situation. He apologizes for his actions. He said he's reached out to Tim Anderson and apologized for his behavior, has not heard back. And Tim Anderson, there's basically been radio silence. Uh, nothing. So what can we glean from this? I think what we can glean is Tim Anderson is the one who's on the hot seat. I'm not going to put Jose Ramirez on the hot seat because I feel like this dude kind of had it coming if we're being honest, and Jose Ramirez was kind of like that guy who's like, okay, well, if nobody else is going to do anything about this, then I'm going to do something about it. Knocked him on his butt and, you know, shut him up for for now. And so, you know, respect. Um, I'm not really a proponent of, like, punching somebody in the face necessarily, but... Necessarily. <laughs> I mean, certain people, you know, maybe <laughs> it'll it's a good wake-up call. Like, potentially in this situation. But, yeah, it was definitely kind of crazy to watch and, you know, the whole saga unfolding. There's also a lot of drama happening with the White Sox right now. There have been talk, uh, there have been rumors that their catcher, Yasmani Grandal, you know, got slapped by Tim Anderson in the face after, you know, going and apparently leaving the clubhouse early to start his all-star break. Um, You know, there's... Uh, one of the White Sox relief pitchers who got traded came out and said, like, there was a rookie that was sleeping in the bullpen during the game. There were no rules. Like, people could show up to practice late. Like, all kinds of stuff going on. So, basically, it's just a complete mess over there um, in Chicago. And, yeah, it's it's a real disappointment for that franchise that a couple years ago looks like it was going to be on the upswing and potentially be you know, dark horse contenders. Now it's all fallen apart. And, you know, 
this is probably the lowest that they've been in a long time uh, because it's just embarrassing. And, you know, Tim Anderson, you're already having a bad season, dude. Like, you need to figure out what what you're doing at the plate, um, making errors. Like, you need to clean up your, your game. Otherwise, nobody's going to pay you. Uh, and instead, he's out here doing this stuff. So, yeah, definitely Tim Anderson finds himself on the hot seat. And it's honestly one of the, the hotter seats that we've had in quite some time. Yeah, it's it's one of those, like, you know, first of all, if you're going to initiate the fight, you can't get you can't get knocked out. Like, I mean, he didn't get knocked out. He got knocked down. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially if you've been struggling in the first place. It's just like, in every single way, it's like, wow, that's embarrassing. <laughs> so, yeah. Respect to Jose Ramirez, you know? Just like, step up, take care of business. Uh, you know, apologize for your behavior and you're like, you know, that shouldn't be a part of the game, blah, 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 whatever. But like, still people know you're the guy who decked them. But then you, but then yeah. you still get the respect of everybody of like, I didn't want to do that, but I had to, you know? So, yeah. Also, well played by whoever his PR person is. True. It's like, he gets to win the fight, and he gets to be the bigger person. <laughs> exactly. But, so, a win-win all around. Speaking of win-wins all around, well, here's a win. Dave's fun fact. Okay, so I've got an interesting one for you guys today. So, to be honest, I don't know what how I came across this fun fact, but here we are. Um, so obviously, in our culture, it is very common and normal for people who are in relationships or who like each other or whatever to kiss or make out. It's just a, it's just what we do. It's a part of the culture. It's part of society. It's part of relationships. We don't think twice about it. It is what it is. However. A study came out a few years ago that said less than half of the cultures that they looked at worldwide engage in romantic kisses. So, what you know, whether they're married, whether they're together, whatever, they do not kiss as part of their culture at all. This is, so, forty-six percent of people did, and really, what the difference was is. You know, and with the Western culture, so a lot of, you know, obviously Europe, um, you know, America, all of that, it's obviously very common. But typically in societies where they don't have distinct social classes, um, normally like smaller um, societies, island nations or, you know, whatever, they all look at kissing, like romantic kissing as like disgusting or as really weird or like, why would you do that? It's just really strange, like where it's like unhygienic, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. They look at it and they're like, that is gross or that is weird. Like we would never do something like that. So it's just kind of crazy to think that over the half, over half the different cultures out there, obviously not in terms of population wise, but in terms of different groups of people, over half of them are interested in kissing and think it's actually kind of gross. So it's a little weird, um, especially in our culture where we see it everywhere and we engaging in it ourselves and we don't think twice about it yeah i'm not gonna stop uh <laughs> <with> that. <laughs> so that, that wasn't you know, the point of the fun fact by the way it was just like yeah. it's just interesting that 
there are so many people out there where they're just like, nope, actually, I do not have any desire to do that. I mean, sure. You know, like, power to them. Um, as for, like, the it being unhygienic or, like, disgusting or whatever, I guess, like, if you start to think about, like, the whole, like, like what goes into, like, making out and, like, what that's, what's going on there, sure, I get it, but it's, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, what I'm trying to say is, I understand, but I'm going to keep doing me. You know, okay. This is not a flattering analogy. Great. But but it's like it's like a hot dog, right? Like I understand that if like the more I think about what it's made of, the less appetizing it becomes. But I'd rather just like not give a shit and continue to eat hot dogs, you know? I mean, you can get good quality hot dogs i think of corn dogs in that situation just like eh, probably not work that works for me too because i like corn dogs. i know you do oh this is the same mike that got flamed like two years ago for saying i don't really eat vegetables so like which isn't true you've cooked vegetables <laughs> i've witnessed you cook and eat vegetables so i'll just put that out there now like i i have seen it it does happen occasionally um but yeah I, I guess I can see that. Like, yeah, maybe you don't want to think about it too much, but like, it's enjoyable. So we're just going to keep doing it. So next time you kiss your significant other, don't think about that and just be in the moment. Basically, that's what I'm trying to say. Don't, next time you kiss your significant other, don't think about us. Uh, <laughs> unless you're our significant other. In which case, do. And also, hello. Thanks for listening. Um, yeah, this is the Mike and Dave podcast. Uh, like, subscribe, leave five star reviews. Go kiss somebody. Consensual. <laughs> yeah, I think that's about it. That's a great way to end the show. <laughs> but th- that'll just about do it for episode sixty. As always, this has been Mike. This has been Dave, and you've been listening to the Mike and Dave podcast. Alexander on the beat.